Hey everyone, welcome to The Midpoint, the podcast where we explore innovative ideas that are reshaping the way we work and live. Joining us today is Andrew Barnes. Back in 2018, he made international headlines with an idea that he believed would raise productivity in the workplace while also contributing to the personal well-being of his staff, a four-day work week. Now, the concept of the four-day week has gained momentum since worldwide with countries, organizations, companies experimenting, implementing, and studying it. But let me emphasize this right here. A four-day week is not just another day off. By the end of this episode, you'll gain a fresh perspective on how this influences productivity, profitability, and well-being. So without any further ado, oh, wait a second. Have you subscribed to this podcast? If not, please do. And now without any further ado, let's jump right in and see how this works. Uh, welcome, Andrew. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, we're we're doing this recording with a lot of time difference. I think this is the very first time I actually have a phone call with somebody uh, in New Zealand. <laughs> um, how do you how do you deal um, just jumping a little bit into like your own work ba life balance? How do you deal with uh, different time zones, or do you only deal within within yours? Oh, I wish that was the case. I wish that was the case. The four-day week has actually completely and utterly ruined my work-life balance, and that's primarily because, you know, it's been such a, a success. We think the, the global audience for this is now about five and a half billion people. Um, mm -hmm. We end up with, with people talking to us from all over the world, and the worst of it all is you get a call in the morning off one time zone and a call from somewhere else on another time zone. And if you're not very careful, you end up with no sleep at all. So... Uh, it, it's good news for the rest of the world, not so good news for Andrew Barnes. <laughs> oh yeah, when, when I looked at the time difference, um, I, I we have a sliver of work time together, and I'm like, okay, hopefully this works out. Hopefully he has time for me to do this recording. So I really appreciate um, <laughs> you being part of this uh, part of this podcast, and of course, um, I, I'm I'm a big fan of your book, and I'd love to talk to you a little bit about it. Um, Let's maybe start at the beginning. You got very um, uh, sort of globally uh, global attention uh, when when you in, sort of welcomed the concept. Why don't you start us there? How did you um, come up with the concept of the four day work? Well, yeah. Once upon a time, pre COVID, you know, remember when we all travelled? That I yeah. used to binge read the Economist magazine on flights from New Zealand through to London, and I was reading since the the winter of seventeen eighteen. I'm reading about a series of research reports that say that people are only productive for two and a half to three hours a day. And I wondered whether that was happening in my company. What, what was it that was stopping people being truly productive? And I figured it was a combination of things. It was a bit of environment. It was a bit of attitude. It was probably how we were structuring things like meetings. It was probably interruptions, a whole raft of things. So I wondered what would happen if I said to my staff, look, I'm going to gift you a day off a week. I need to get the same amount of output and productivity and customer service. But what would they do differently? So what I wanted to do was, you know, none of this work-life balance rubbish. This was purely how on earth could you make a company more productive and would you get that if you changed how the working week was structured? And... We gave it a go and, and of course, you know, it worked. And that really was the genesis 
of the whole thing. It was just curiosity, I think, on my part. Mm-hmm. Is is uh, how did you measure the success of that of that trial? Well, there there are two things you really had to do. I think first of all, this is pre-COVID, right? So we we mm-hmm. hadn't really got to the point of saying you could work wherever you you wanted, and also. In common with almost every company in the world, we are not measuring productivity. We weren't measuring productivity. We were measuring time, and then time and output translated to revenue and profit. So, when we said let's give it a go, the first thing we had to do was try and work out what were those measurements that we would use to determine if a team or an individual was actually working to the same level. As the way they would have worked over five days, so we mm-hmm. sat down with with the team and said, "Okay, how should we measure you?" Now, this it's quite important that you do this because part of that process is to say, "What is it that I am doing?" Mm-hmm. But actually, far more interesting is, "What is it I should not be doing?" Right, and, and yeah. not be doing could be. I'm in a meeting I shouldn't be in. It could be that I'm being interrupted all the time. It could be that I just get distracted when the person next to me sits down, opens their phone up, and has a really fascinating conversation that's far more interesting than anything else I'm doing. So, mm-hmm. all of this is around trying to say, right, what is it? What should we? How should we measure you? What is it you should stop doing? And when you work out what it is you should stop doing. That's where you find the uplift in productivity. Do, do you believe, do you think that um, the the forty uh, week aside, if you sat down with every team and did that exercise, just you know, without the prospect of having a day off, would you think that um, that just that thought process would have also increased productivity? That people would become more aware of what they shouldn't be doing. Very possibly, but the point is, we've mm-hmm. been doing the five day week. For a hundred years. So, if that's right, how the hell we've not got it right after a hundred years? Oh yeah, you're totally. Uh, that's a totally yeah, good that, point. That is, so that's exactly the point, right? So the reality is, work expands to fill the time available. You know, mm-hmm. if you leave everything to the last minute, it only takes you a minute to do the task. It's one of those things, right? So. What we're doing here is, is I think, a couple of things. We're incentivizing people to change behavior where there isn't previously an incentive. Uh, and to be clear, you know, we talk about this idea of a hundred eighty hundred rule: hundred percent pay, eighty percent time, provided we get a hundred percent productivity. The deal is, though, you get the eighty percent if you deliver the hundred percent. And if you don't deliver the hundred percent in eighty percent, then we can go back to five days. You know, there's mm-hmm. a there's a bit of a sting in the tail here. You know, you've got to you've got to do deliver what you've said, and I'll give you what I've said. But both sides have got to win. Is that on an individual level, or, or just so as a company? It's on a team basis. So it's easy. If you waste your colleagues' time, so you do your job. But I've done that at the expense of all your colleagues, and they fail. Nah, everybody back now. Interestingly, in five years, I've only ever had to do it once for one team. Oh wow! Once, once well, that's good. Pretty good. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that was right at the beginning, frankly, um, no, where I think one part of our organisation uh, didn't really take it seriously and took, took you know, they all t- one and a half of them took Friday off, one half took Monday off. And then they said, and customer service has gone down. Who'd have thought? Well, you know, that's not how it works. So mm-hmm. yeah. you have to have that. You have to have that give and take. Everybody's got to win for this to work. I would say just whether or not your employer offers you um, four days, I think just as a personal productivity kind of approach, that's something that you that everybody could actually be doing. Say, like, look, I want to get my work done for the week by Thursday to just make room for other stuff, even if I had to work on Friday, right? So I think mentally it stresses me out often that I sometimes I have to do things over the weekend um, just because I didn't have enough time. Most likely, it's my own productivity that helped me, for, you know, sort of prevented me from, you know, getting everything done by Friday evening. That's no, you're it. right. Look, look and, and this is why this works, right? So what I'm gifting you is I'm giving you something that you can't put a price on. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you the gift of time and the gift of time that is important to you. And you can then take that time. We talk about the four day week. Let's be clear. It's reduced hours working. Um, 80% of the time, 100% of the pay. And some people will take a day off, some two half days. Working parents quite often will do five days a week with compressed hours. Now, that means they can walk their kids to school, they can pick them up from school. You know, really good for childcare. If I give you time that you don't value, you won't value it. So we give you the time off that you value and you can do with it what you will. Now, that's what makes this work because, one, I am more rested. Now, statistically, about 32 minutes more sleep every night, which is which is interesting. Direct correlation with life expectancy. Um, you're less stressed. Stress levels dropping, uh, you know, 15, 20%, sometimes even more. Um, sick days halving broadly. All the data we've had shows that that's the case. So you've got to... Healthier, happier, more engaged workforce. Now, are they going to be more more or less productive? <laughs> That's the question now. That's the question. Well, um, let, before we jump for to to uh, additional benefits, um, maybe can we, can we talk a little bit about sort of the initial reactions that people had, or also when you, you work with clients. Um, let's start with the workers' response. Sort of how how do people react that um, are when, when this topic is being discussed? Well, I mean, if if if, if your uh, if your, your your followers are interested, you can actually watch the video of my announcement, which is which is on YouTube. Um, and if you think there is going to be uh, tumultuous cheers and applause you would be slightly disappointed. Um, what, what you actually got is an announcement and, and then silence. Uh-huh. Then you get a bit of a nervous laugh and then we get into actually explaining what it's about because this is just not what you do, right? I mean, nobody <laughs> walks in and says, hey, look, I've got this crazy idea. Um, you will only have to work for four days and you will be paid for five Instant reaction is what's the catch. Yeah, hundred percent. No catch. Do, do you get do you get different reactions from from who do you get those reactions most? It's sort of like 
maybe also generationally uh, divide between younger and older generations? Or? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, I'm, I'm of a certain generation, right? And I, I came up with it pretty well. All my younger leadership team all hated it. So, that, you know, that has, that has absolutely, age has no bearing. Um, there is a little bit about it, though. I think it's fair to say that there are some people, often senior leaders, who have a mindset that says, I had to really work every hour God sends to get where I am today. And why shouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Why should you have it easy? And that is sort of missing the point because what we're actually saying is if you look at the way in which work has evolved over certainly the last couple of decades and the intervention of technology um, Productivity has generally gone up. The The issue is more that the benefits of that productivity just flow up to the people at the top or the, the, the shareholders, the owners. There's been very little sharing of the benefits of that uh, throughout the organization. And the reality, too, is that that, that way that work has evolved has placed incredible stresses and strains on the workforce. And ultimately, if you if you think about human capital the way you would think about conventional machinery, mm-hmm. with a machine, you, you turn it off, you service it, you oil it, you repair the, the bits that are worn on it, and you, by careful management of it, maintain its life and its effectiveness. Human capital... In contrast, we sort of go, nah, we have absolutely no responsibility whatsoever to ensure our human capital is working optimally. That's their problem. And actually, often people aren't that good at maintaining their own efficiency and health and effectiveness because they feel that if they don't keep working, they are going to be disadvantaged. Now, actually, we are not recognizing, especially, you know, in the era of the fourth industrial revolution, creative economy, that creativity, uh, mental agility, uh, empathy, um, those things come when you've got people that are rested, healthy and happy. And they, those skills are pretty critical for corporate productivity. So you ignore those that you will. And this is why I think you have to question why an arbitrary division of the working day designed for repetitive manufacturing industry in the 1920s has any relevance at all (laughs) to what we're doing in the 21st century. So when you you say that it's very hard for individuals to, to... kind of put a finger on what is the right amount of work, sort of how do I get that balance myself and make sort of my employer happy with the output. Isn't isn't that going to be even more difficult for the individuals if you break things up and sort of break up the barriers? Because I don't, especially in the remote world and more agile world that I don't see my coworkers anymore. I don't know how much they're working. Am I still worthy enough 
you know, how, how do you respond to sort of today's context for for? Well, I think I think that's the, you're you know straight on the money. Uh, if you think about it, we're not working from home. We're sleeping in the office. Right? Yeah, and I have so this weird coworker that I'm married to as well. Yeah, yeah, that's basic. It's all highly inappropriate. You would normally, if you did that in the workplace, you'd be in real trouble. But, but that's the point, right? Because what they used to be is we used to punctuate the day with with the commute, the going to the office. Right? That's gone now. Mm-hmm. So actually, more than ever, placing some restriction around the time that people work becomes actually really critical. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the temptation is to do what you and I are doing. Uh, I'm doing it late at night. You're doing it early morning, and you can very quickly end up doing that all the time. That's not healthy. So, putting time boundaries in the absence of formal boundaries for commute. Is a sensible thing, but I think the second part of that is that you get these people like Elon Musk and Jack Ma. You know, no one changes the world not working a hundred hours a week or nine nine six. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Because they've got a whole bunch of people working underneath them. I don't give a shit really whether those people burn out or don't burn out, but actually, because there's more expendable people where that came from. And actually, they get all the benefits mm-hmm. of all of that work. Now, you know, I'm not saying for a second that entrepreneurs out there won't work every hour they've got. They will, but you can't you can't place that burden on your employees because they are not entrepreneurs. Often, yeah, they want a decent wage. They want to bring up their their kids and have their relationships and and have all of those benefits. But that's what they want out of life for the most part. They're not prepared often to pay the price, and it can be a pretty bloody price. My own life is a mm-hmm. textbook on not to do it. That that you can't. We shouldn't ask them to pay the price without giving them the rewards. So if uh, Elon Musk wants to divide the total profits of his organization by the total number of employees and share it equally, knock himself out. Let everybody work 100 hours a week and they all will. But Mm -hmm. if they're not getting that, then frankly, you shouldn't ask the question. For sure, for for sure, those entrepreneurs are also passionate. Uh, I'm talking about generally entrepreneurs that sort of found their company you know they're passionate about it for them it's sort of working working as much as they can sometimes it's a little bit too much sometimes it's just purely their joy and they have as you said they have mm-hmm. the upside if, if things work out um mm-hmm. i've seen i've i would say maybe one one good example in here is also that you shouldn't email over the weekend right sort of leaders leadership should not email each other or should not email their employees uh, on a Sunday because they feel obliged to respond. I think it's, it would be a, a similar analogy, right? If you force everybody into certain parameters, then you're not stressing out um, by not acting, right? It's, it, that's the hardest thing. At 7 p.m., if you get an email from the U.S., not maybe not for you when it's a client, but, you know, somebody from a sort of co-worker or, or a leader, that you should respond because otherwise it's going to be 24 hours later yeah. until the, well, that and, and this is And this is the point I'm making about the change in the work environment. Right. So, you know, 
I'm a tad older than you, Rico. So you, I, just, you, won't know, you won't know about this, but once upon a time, people used to send a letter in what we used to call the mail. And you would write it out, you would stick it in an envelope, you put a thing called a stamp, and that was a thing that went on the top corner. You'd post it, somebody would come and pick it up and deliver it from someone, and it used to take, I don't know, a week. And when you got it, you'd open that up, you put in a big pile on your desk, and you gradually go down those things, and then you would write back, same process, and that would maybe take a week. Now, apparently, we managed to survive communicating that way mm -hmm. until email came along when if I don't respond to you within 30 seconds, I'm blocking you. And really, <laughs> you know, and that means I waste your time because you waste mine because we send far too many emails which we shouldn't send. That's just as much a scourge as attending meetings we shouldn't do. So yeah. what we've done is we've changed how we work. And actually, most of how those changes have come haven't actually practically improved the quality, the volume of the work that we're doing. In many ways, we are just, we're writing lots of meaningless drivel because it's easy to send the communication. So what part of what we're talking about here is, is Think about whether that is really necessary. Mm -hmm. And if it's not really necessary, don't do it. And the minute you do that, you know, I don't know about you, I can get hundreds of emails a day. It takes me a minute to answer every email, and frankly, it's likely to be more. I can waste a plethora of my day answering emails before I've even sat down and done anything that is actually truly productive for the company. Yeah, and sitting, I mean, you, you, and you're not constantly in your inbox. So when you open your inbox, that's also a stress factor that adds to it because you see how many emails you still have. So sort of suddenly um, came back in and I think that's not not something that adds on to your productivity throughout the day, I'm sure. And then the next thing is, you know, it's the, the, the mobile phone. <laughs> Statistically, we look at our mobile phones once every five minutes. What else have I got on? So one of the things we did in our company, we, we created these lockers. You'd like get them in schools, you know, boarding schools. Thou shalt not have your phone in your room after nine o'clock. Broadly, we've adopted the same strategy in the office. If you can't turn your phone off or lock it in a drawer and not look at it, you can lock it in a locker at the far end of the office. So you're not tempted to go and check your mobile phone. Now, Some of this stuff is, it sounds ridiculous, but when you put in the context that you look at that thing once every five minutes, yeah, you know, 100%. again, you know, basically there is a minute out of every six minutes where you're not doing work. And you're distracting yourself. You're not, you can't ever go into sort of a deep work state where you really concentrate, especially for creative Processes, yeah, well, that's, such, right? that, and that's yeah. that's the other thing. Statistically, you'll be interrupted once every 11 minutes, and it'll take you 22 minutes to get back to full productivity. So, mm. you institute a deep work, quiet hour, whatever you do. We have putting people put flags in a pot that says, "Don't disturb me for an hour." You get three hours of normal work, full work, out of one hour. Now, mm -hmm. there's your productivity uplift. You're not done anything other than stopped interrupting people. 
And, and so, you know, lots of little hacks. This is this is good stuff. It's it's don't do the meetings, don't do the interruptions, don't look at your mobile phone. So you've not done anything different. You've just actually sorted yourself out a bit. And hey, presto, you get your job done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when you when you talked about these physical letters, I was uh, you know thinking about sort of the next question to talk to you about productivity. But I think we've just answered that sort of the, the means of the things that you took away as a result from from your trial were those hacks, or is, was there any other additional data or sort of takeaways that that yeah. you wanted to implement? Well, well, I mean, you're also getting the data that of course people are healthier, happier, more rested. If they're more rested, they're more creative, they're more creative, the quality of work is better, they're more engaged, they're more loyal. But what you can get is, as an organization, you pick up a pile of other things. You find that people, you know, we, we're the dullest company. I mean, I'm talking to somebody from Switzerland, so you'll understand this, but I, we are the dullest com- company in the world, right? We're a trust company. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, you know, shit, I want to work for a trust company. That's my aspiration, unless they're Swiss, of course. So we then found it. So you had open positions. You had all of that stuff. Now, then suddenly you do a four-day week. Suddenly people go, actually, I think I'll have a look at that company. I'll have a look and see what they're about because they seem to be enlightened. So... A few things happen. Your resignations drop. Mm-hmm. Your applications go up. The quality of the applications you get are better, right? As I've said, you get fewer sick days. Now, all of this is translating straight through to the bottom line. So as an organization, you're not just getting the benefits of changing the way that you that you work, which is delivering more productivity. The things that make that cost the company are also going to happen. Yeah, so you win all ends up, frankly, when you do this. Um, the re- the only reason, the only reason why everybody isn't doing it is we've got it ingrained, especially in our white guys like me, you know, we're, we're totally and utterly conditioned that working longer is working harder. Well, it is, but is it working smarter? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and yeah, smarter, not longer. It's definitely coming from. I think when when I was sort of going into university, sort of through to high school, college ages, that was still the phase where in movies and everywhere, working hard, working long hours was sort of the high performer, successful kind of image. And I think that's where this is coming from from a uh, from a company culture perspective as well. If you have the impression that you're always productive, and that's maybe also the entrepreneur, or Elon Musk is, thinks he's always productive, maybe. Um, so if you have the assumption that all your people are should always be productive, then you want them to work more hours. But that's just not the case, right? So when you say work smarter, it's sort of how can you optimize that work smarter time of the day to maximize output? Mm, exactly. It, how, do, how, how do companies... Um, Let's say you're you're not a trust company, you're not a creative agency, but you're somebody else uh, somewhere in the world as a company. You're you're intrigued, but you're also sort of um, in the, let's say, previous mindset. How do you evaluate whether this might be right for you? How do you convince those companies to think about or to evaluate that that actually might be better? 
that approach might be better for their company. Well, so let, let's start with the contrary position, first of all. So first of all, if you are saying the, the five day week is it, mm-hmm. you're saying you have just reached the pinnacle of human achievement. There is no better way. Now, you just think about that for a second. That's what you are saying. You're saying that this arbitrary division, which is sort of linked to things like religion and how we evolved in the in the Western world, you are literally saying that's it. Okay, where's your evidence for it? Well, there isn't any evidence for it, right? It's just what we've always done. Mm-hmm. So that then means you then say to them, okay, all right, so let's have a look what's going on over here now. There's a whole series of trials. We've run trials now in the USA, Canada, Ireland, UK, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. We've got ones coming in Israel, Portugal, Brazil, etc. All of which show that productivity goes up. Um, Those costs, you know, sick days, recruitment things, all of those, they go in the right direction. You've got staff who are more engaged. Something in our own case, you know, our engagement scores went up forty percent. And so, what you are then saying is that actually your company is incapable of doing what those companies did. Now, actually, what we know is not true because we know that my employees are probably no different than your employees. So, what you're really saying is you, the leader, aren't smart enough to do this. Now, if you're not smart enough to do this, I think maybe the board should be saying, well, get another leadership team. Because all we're saying is put the hypothesis. This is this is junior school science. Put a hypothesis, run an experiment, look at the results. If the results don't give you what you expected, run a trial again with slightly different goals to test that hypothesis until it works. Now, if it doesn't work, you can come back and you can tell me it didn't work. But don't tell me that without trying it. Mm-hmm. Do, so, do you, that's do you, yeah. the problem, right? Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Do, do you, I mean, working myself so with, with uh, HR leaders, I see that often they might opting for maybe a slightly sort of tuned down version? Do you get that a lot as well? It's like, oh, maybe we don't have to. It's going to be very hard to give back or take away that day if the trial doesn't work out. No, it's dead easy. It's dead easy. It's dead easy. It's completely dead easy. Uh, And why is it dead easy? Because that's the basis upon which the deal is, is there. You have to deliver the same productivity, the same customer service, same output. If you don't, we'll go back to five days. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. So it's very clear. This so is we, not French-style mm-hmm. 35-hour legislation because that creates its own problems. This is a deal, a pact between the workforce and the employer where I will gift you 40 additional days off a year, but in return, you have to give me the same productivity and profitability. Mm -hmm. If you don't, back to five days. I was wrong. Prove Mm -hmm. me wrong. And how long would would a trial need to be to sort of show show that impact? Well, 
we trialled it for two months and then made it permanent. And well, that was five years ago. Our, our, our mass trials, they're of six months duration. Uh, mm-hmm. Some companies will go for much longer. Unilever, you know, working with Unilever. Unilever are about 18 months in. They started with one business unit. They've added another one. And then some companies get about a month in and they go, hell, this is really working. We're never going back. Let's stuff it. It's full time. Oh, fantastic. So, so it, 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 it varies, right? And, and there is no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, when we, 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 so we do things when we're, we're helping companies, we can do one-on-one, we can do these group pilots, and then we can do digital materials as well. But we do that because you've got to decide what works for your company. And, and you know, whatever works is whatever works. You trial it for as long as you think you need to trial it. I'm, I'm really curious about in, in, uh, in sort of what the other departments are thinking when you introduce it to one department. Do they? I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will get jealous to not be part no, of the trial. No, 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 because you see the game <laughs> here is, is we need that department to succeed because if that department succeeds, then we'll get it. And, and actually in big companies, the strategy should be pick the easiest department. Pick that department where it will work. Mm-hmm. Learn the lessons, apply the culture, think about it, move it to the next department, then the next and the next. Now, interestingly, if you look back at Henry Ford's introduction of the five-day week, I think that took him two to three years across Ford Motor Company. He didn't just go, bang, everybody, everybody's working five days. It was very much a staged approach. Let us work out how it is. And you end up with the more complex areas mm-hmm. that you need to possibly give a little bit more thought to that. But that's that's how you do it. You know, learn the lessons in the easy stuff and apply those lessons to the hard stuff. And then you're only dealing with one or two issues in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, maybe let's switch a little bit to the perspective to the employee. Um, uh, we are in an open market, like we can switch companies if, if we see something on the horizon that really appeals to us. Um, I think that for the work we can also improve sort of employer branding to say like look we have sort of a, a better um sort of wellness score people are more engaged here uh, join us is this what would you um maybe not for the employer but for the employee um say that when they evaluate sort of their next move is this something to mm-hmm. look at Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think this is what we're seeing. So in the United States at the moment, the biggest reason for doing four-day week is employer attraction and retention. Absolutely. Employee attraction and retention, totally the number one issue. Second thing is 80% of people, when I say they would rather work a shorter working week, they they want to get the balance back. So, And that's especially true of millennials and Jed Zs and whatever alphabets are attached to... To, to, to younger employees at the moment. They want purpose. The evidence just they want purpose, but they actually do also want a better balance um, attaching to it. So, yeah, look, I think uh, there was one business in the UK trial um, that when it announced it was doing the four-day week, its, it's applications went up 500%. Oh, wow. Now, so... Let's again come back to this. What does that do if you're an employer for a second? You're getting better quality applicants. In a competition for talent, 
you're getting all that. So then you get the best people in. So the best people do better work. Better work means you've got better output. Better output equals more productivity. It's logical. And your biggest risk is actually not implementing the four-day week. It's that your biggest competitor does it first. Right. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, mean, I have to kind of put the devil's advocate head on again from this um, white uh, senior manager, young senior manager that is totally against it. So if, if we introduce this four-day work week, how do, I, how do I prevent that my now um, creative employees that have more sleep don't work on that fifth day for something else, like doing their own thing or, you know, in a doing some geek work or something? How do you, how do you argue with that? You don't care? Why would you care? Why would you care? If, you know, the reality is they're going to do it anyway. If they really want to do gig work, they'll do it anyway. Um, if, in fact, they can't have that outlet, then in all likelihood they're going to leave. Um, the biggest issue around this is actually, you know, part of this is the conversation about why the time off is coming. And what we find, funnily enough, is people genuinely don't do a gig. Some do. But a lot then say, hang on, I, I need to, I want to get myself fit. Uh, I want to eat better. I want to spend time, far more time with my family. In the, U, the Australian trial, the amount of time that men, heterosexual men, spent looking after family members mm. and their kids went up 22%. Oh, wow. 22%. Oh, wow. I love now, that. We can, we can talk all we like about equality and, and equal work, equal pay, bringing our women through the glass ceiling. If you don't make it okay for guys to step out, inevitably people make the very sensible, rational decision that one member of the family is going to work all the time. And if you create, if you change that environment, that's the thing that creates the equality. And at the same time, by the way, of course, returning mums often your most productive employees because they've got great time management skills because they've got to get out the door. You're paying them 20% less and often they're giving the same outputs. You increase their pay because they're then on 180-100 rule. So then you've got pay equality, opportunity equality, and you're making it okay for everybody to be the best they can be in the office and the best they can be at home. And what's wrong with that? Yeah, I love it. I love that. I, I think it, it, if in an ideal world where, you know, everything can come together that way, sort of flexibly, and as you, as you pointed out, me as an individual, I, I also need to be take sort of the, um, the choices and, and structure myself in the right way to make it work. I mean, if, if there's no effort, I think you just skid along and then, you know, that, that day might be wasted. You might get more sleep and you might be more relaxed. I fully agree with you anyway. Um, mm. But I think if, you, if, you're given, if you're given the opportunity, think of a six-day work week, right? So um, 50 years ago, I'm not sure when. I remember as a kid, I went to school on Saturday morning. So that was some at some point introduced that we were Saturday morning off. Um, I, I feel like if you, if you make the best of your week, not just your weekend, then I think it's it's a perfect setup. Yeah, I, I, look, I agree. Um, and I think the the next thing to think about is is what's coming down the track as a consequence of the work environment that we've got. So mm -hmm. we've got, you know, the the current generation is the, there's some horrible data out of the Foundation for Young Australians, for example, 
which shows that the proportion of young people who are completely and utterly stressed, partly due to the fact there's a lot of gig jobs, not as much security as there used to be, you know, that creates a problem down the track. We've already got mental health as an issue, you know, starting to be a multi billion, if not multi-trillion dollar issue globally. And mm-hmm. why is that? Well, at the heart of it, it's that actually we are wearing our people out. Now, if you're a, co- a government, you need to be thinking about how the heck am I going to deal with that issue? Because it's going to be paid for by the very people we're burning out. They're going to have to be the people that are funding that. And that requires us not deliberately picking on the the tech people with the the the, the hundred hours and the nine nine sixes, but but you then have a look at those people, and nine times out of ten, they're also the people not paying tax. So they are the people creating the problem, moving the profits through Ireland or wherever. So you know there's no tax pay, and leaving the country and the people with the problem behind their arbitrage of, you know, the, the, the fiscal structures and, and, and the social structures. No, um, totally. often that's because you then use gig contracts, which don't have security of tenure, they don't have minimum wage, they don't have sick days, they don't have holiday. Now, all of this has got to stop part of this. Uh, our argument for the four-day week is actually, you know what, every employee should have the same basic protections. And if we can do that and provide time off, then actually the enticement for doing gig goes away. I do gig because I believe the bollocks that it's about work when you want. It isn't because the algorithms will certainly sort you out if you don't work the time that they want. 100%. Right. Okay. Breathe. Okay. Uh, you know, um, it's a it's a hobby horse that I've have just jumped <laughs> gone around the paddock on. I'm afraid. Oh man. I mean, it started with a with an experiment. Started with a flight um, to the UK and the Economist, and it ended up five years later being sort of um, kind of a I don't want to call it a religion. I think it's a very beautiful concept that everybody should be thinking about, not just employers but also employees. Because it is, um, as I said before, something that you can implement even if you're working five days. Like you can do, be more productive and sort of in in the flexible work sort of work life that we have right now. You you can definitely make more of your time. That's for sure. Um, yeah, look in the old uh, in the song from the '60s, Alice's Restaurant. I think it says if fifty people a day, fifty people a day walk in and demand something, then it's a movement. It is a movement. Definitely, yeah. Look, we are very accidental evangelists for this. So so my partner Charlotte and I created Four Day Week Global just simply because after we'd run the experiment in, in Perpetual Guardian, you know, thousands of companies reached out around the world and said, how did you do it? What did you do? And I couldn't drink that much coffee, so I wrote the book. So I thought, well, you know, read the book, work it out. Um, And then that didn't stop it. And and in fact, every time we did something, whether it was when we did the trial or announced the trial, when we announced the results, when we made it permanent, and when we announced the results of the varying pilot programs, the volume 
of media from around the world has been extraordinary. I think we we used to stop counting at about 14,000 articles when, for example, we announced that we were making a permanent. And I think we've spoken in something like 112 countries worldwide now. Now, to be clear, we, we, we don't make money out of this. It's a not-for-profit. We have, I think we have 10 staff spread about six continents at the moment. But, you know, you don't get many chances to change the world. 100%. Yeah. And, and this, this just... This is something. This just this happens. Yes. Yeah. You know, we didn't start off with this, but I, I tell a story. My, my partner and I did a, a thing called the Peking Paris car rally in a, in a Chev, 1941 Chevrolet. Mm. And we were in Siberia. This is 2019. In Siberia, the phone goes... And somebody from New Zealand says, do you realize the prime minister of Russia has just name-checked you, that he's read about Andrew Barnes, he's read about the four-day week, uh, he's read about Perpetual Guardian, he thinks it's the future for Russia. Okay, put the phone down. Phone comes back again. They said, where are you? We said, we're actually in Siberia. Um, We're heading to Novosibirsk. Um, And they go, okay, phone down ring again and they said right there will be television crews from moscow flying into novosibirsk now we blew the clutch that day i was covered in oil we arrived late (laughs) not looking my best did three interviews you know back to back and and something else and and we thought well that's that's great when we were leaving russia they announced that the russian parliament was looking at drafting legislation wow now that I know it's not fashionable to talk about Russia these days, but actually, funnily enough, that was the point at which you suddenly said, you know, this is this is this is bigger than we ever ever imagined. Um, in that, you know, this is starting to change the world. And now you look, there is legislation in I think Belgium, Romania, Lithuania, you've got government pilots coming in Spain, Portugal, Scotland, Ireland, uh, Wales, I think Northern Ireland's announced one as well. You've got governments like Argentina looking at it. You've got the UAE's implemented it. You've got legislative Mm -hmm. change in, in India, in Japan. You've got bills before the legislatures of four US states and a bill before Congress. You've got a bill before the Houses of Parliament in the UK. You got the Senate Select Committee in Australia announcing that actually they think the Australian government should do this. Um, you know, this is this is just got out of control now. I mean, this really bigger than is, an experiment. Yeah, it's bigger <laughs> than an experiment. This is this is about how can we change the world? And you know, mm-hmm. we often, I think, you know, we need more these days. We need more food. We need more cars. We need bigger houses. We need whatever. And I think, you know, wouldn't it be better if we just had better? If we gave, we bequeathed our kids not an extra bathroom in the house, but actually more time together, more time to do those things, which you know, you can't put a price on. And and I think if we can just 
leave our kids with better. That's got to be a good thing. And that's sort of what drives us, I think, is, is that we think there is a chance now that we can do this. I, I couldn't have put this better. And I think it's a beautiful uh, close as well um, to our conversation. Thank you so much uh, for being part uh, of this episode. Um, we'll put all the links in the show notes about your book, about um, uh, you, the day, uh, four day week global, um, as well as sort of everything that we mentioned. I'm really going to check out the video uh, when you announced it for your employees and what you got, what your plan is. Well, if we find it, we'll put the link in the show notes as well. Um, oh, this has been a pleasure. I'm definitely going to have another cup of coffee now, uh, since I think my family has woken up by now as well. Um, and it's, oh, I'm guessing it's going to be, yeah, it's towards the end of your day. Uh, I'm going to have a cocktail, not a coffee. Oh. <laughs> You've definitely earned it. Uh, it's Friday evening for you. And, um, I wish you a wonderful long weekend <laughs> for sure. Thank you so Thank much you for being here, it. uh, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening in. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Uh, tune in again next Friday for the next episode. And in the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast. Also give us a positive review wherever you're listening in. And I hope you come and listen again. Have a great week and see you soon.